When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. without even really being able to run as he shoots the moon to the fans here in Green Bay. That is a disgusting act by Randy Moss. And it's unfortunate that we had that on our air live. That is disgusting by Randy Moss. And steps into it. Passes. There's a strike from Kershaw to Polanco, who had an 80-game suspension for PED use last year. Right now, Polanco's sitting at fifth best in the American League, part of a really good oh. Twins team with an average of 312, 13 home runs, and the count one and one. The show is Purple Daily. Zolged, Chad Graff of The Athletic, Matthew Kolaroth, Jonathan Harrison producing, and Chadley. We started with that montage of Joe Buck calls. Uh, because I realized last night during the All-Star game, as I saw Minnesota sports fans tweeting how much they hate Joe Buck again, you know it's been, <laughs> you know it's been 14 years since Randy Moss, as Chris Collinsworth so adroitly said that day, shot the moon at Green Bay fans, and Buck said that's a disgusting act. 14 years. I thought when we had, to tie this back into the Vikings and the National Football League, I thought when we had Joe call the Minneapolis Miracle finish, which was a fantastic call. In fact, I'll play it again because it was that good. Steps into it. Passes. Absolutely, as you just said, perfect. Until last night, I thought we finally had closure with Joe Buck of Fox, and then he had the audacity, the <laughs> unmitigated, uh, to uh, to talk about the fact that Jorge Polanco last year was suspended for PEDs, which last time I checked the media guide was accurate, and, and they had Francisco Lindor mic'd up at one point to Cleveland shortstop, and Joe was joking around about Cleveland potentially overtaking the Twins or being successful, and it started all over again. Folks, let's start with this. Purple Daily today. It's time to move on. <laughs> Joe Buck is very good. You and If you don't like him, that's fine, too. But please, for the love of God, 
can we stop being obsessed with the fact that national announcers and home broadcasters are very different? Very. And it's not Joe Buck's job to give a damn how any Minnesota sports team or anybody else does. He's not rooting against you. He just doesn't care. Joe Buck's a fascinating announcer nationwide even. like When you look back, I think, across the country, he went through a phase where very few people liked him, and then he had a little bit of a resurgence. I think his game calls got better. He became more open to to who he is and, and made some self-deprecating jokes, but... Here in Minnesota, what you just mentioned, the the Joe Buck hate Twitter is one of the most reliable Minnesota Twitters that exists, along with, say, when the Wild get bounced from the playoffs in the first round or uh, when the Vikings have an early season injury and everybody freaks out. There are just some things that you can rely on here in Minnesota on Twitter, and one of them is Joe Buck hate. And I, I, I don't know that Minnesota fans are ever going to like Joe Buck, and f- largely, I understand that. But like you said, after the Minneapolis miracle, I thought it would at least be neutral feelings. Or if there were still sour feelings, they would just kind of be quiet ones. They're wiped out. That's exactly what I thought. And they were, I thought, until last night. But when you mentioned that Jorge Polanco got <laughs> pinched for P.E., it's not like he said, boy, his numbers have increased. I think he's still using. Now, in as a kid... Did you grow up a Red Sox Bruins fan? Yes. Okay. Were you guys out there, and certainly that's a passionate sports uh, sports fan base, were you as paranoid about national announcers as we are? Because this goes back to Joe's father, Jack, calling right. the 91 World Series, and all of us, or a lot of us, being convinced that Jack was a national guy and thus was rooting for the Atlanta Braves. Were the Boston sports fans, when you were a kid, as obsessed that the national people were out to get them as we are? This seems, I know this happens, I'm not sure, I'm not sure where we rank among being paranoid. Right. For a time being, it was definitely the case, going back to 2004, when the Red Sox finally beat the Yankees, coming back from 3-0 in the ALCS. They go to the World Series, and who do they play but the St. Louis Cardinals? And I think there were some thoughts at that point, like, oh, great, this Buckeye just is nothing but a Cardinals homer. This is going to go poorly. Obviously, the Sox sweep them. And then, as Boston sports in those late 2000s began to dominate everything, I think that there was less of a concern about what national announcers felt. And then going forward, I think it almost turned the other way where there are so many national announcers who picked Tom Brady's demise, who said that um, the the Red Sox at various points were over, that the Bruins at various points were over, the Celtics were over, and all of those teams have remained good. That I think that there is, especially with the Patriots in Boston, there's definitely a sense of how dare you ever bet against Tom Brady? How dare you ever say that he's not the greatest to ever walk? Right. And any announcer who says anything even remotely contrary to that becomes a massive deal. I'm just 14 years after the fact, so tired of still <laughs> seeing people tweet. and, and Disgusting. It, and it, fe- it feels like this one's real. Oh, yeah. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like... Sometimes, because... Twitter's so hard to tell. Sure. Sometimes it doesn't feel like, I was like, yeah, fans are being weird, but I bet this is just a small slice of fans. You mean Twitter's not completely indicative of real life? <laughs> Shocking, <laughs> I know. To say? I know, I can't believe it. But this one feels like, it's not everybody, right? but it's substantial. I give this one credence. I think people, I think people last night got their, their um, you know, undies in a bunch again. Mm-hmm. And said, "Oh, here he's back. He's doing it again to us." And I just, I was like, "No, 
No, it's that's not what's happening. But when you and I get it, if you are exposed and we are to local announcers a lot and those guys love your team, I think your expectation becomes, well, everybody's going to love our team. And that's just not going to be the case. Well, and I do think that there's also a bit of an inferiority complex of, you know, we Minnesotans always consider ourselves overlooked. You don't understand how great our summers is. This state is actually better than you think it is. And largely, I'm coming from New England, and I agree. I've lived here for seven years and haven't found a reason to leave. I just bought a house. This is my home. I love Minnesota. I agree that it's often overlooked. But... I don't think we have to have every national person recognize the same thing that we recognize by living here yep. in order for things to be okay, and yet that's what it seems to be. Our summer, at least 2019, I'm not so sure what you just said right now. I'm beginning to have very much second thoughts. I used to buy that whole, oh, man, you'll, you know, you're here in June and July and August, you won't believe it, and it's gonna, it's fantastic. I'm going farther and farther at the last couple of years. It's like, okay, we get occasional nice days, but I bet I, I bet I could improve this experience somewhere else. Sure. However, I took two trips in the last month. Yep. One was to Austin, Texas. One was to Miami, Florida. Both of them, I was so excited to get back on the plane because you cannot go outside for more than five minutes. Oh, no, minutes. that's way too much. No. Humid and 105 that's a you, that, and awful. That's a you problem, Chad <laughs> that, that was horrible. I have no interest in going to live in Texas or Florida in June, July, or August. Oh, you're crazy. Uh, I, I disagree. Only- I will take... The 20 below. Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying you're crazy for going on those trips. Oh, yes. Oh, no, no. You are. Yes. I. That's fair. I love Florida. It's great for spring training. Sure. But if I ever could, could get a place there, I'd go with the Royce plan, mm-hmm. which is summers you can't be there. One, one I, don't want, I don't want the hurricane problem, yeah, or at least I don't fair. want to be there for it. But two, what you just said about Miami, the heat and humidity, I want no part of that in Florida in, let's say, July. We went golfing, and they have opposite pricing to what Minnesota has, where you pay a premium to play early, and you can get cheaper rates in the afternoon. In Florida, if you want to golf before 9 a.m., it's expensive. And then as the day goes on, you can play basically for free in the afternoon if you have the audacity to spend four hours outside in Florida in July. I I know a guy that lived in Phoenix, I want to say, and this is probably 30 years back, but he said essentially if you were going to go golfing in Arizona in July, you had to go at like 5.30 in the morning and be done by 9. Mm -hmm. And after 9, nobody was on the golf course. We teed off at 6.30, and by 18, I was just dreading it. It wasn't even fun. How about three weeks? How about three weeks of seven? 75 here with no rainy days. Just a little something like that. Sure. That's all I want. Not super humid. Yes. Summer 2019. uh, I'm not not asking you for a lot. I'm not asking you for a month straight. I'm not asking you for two. I'm asking you for three weeks of just no rain, 75, temperatures are nice, things are tepid. Tepid's a great word. Let's keep it tepid and just give me that. And then go back to being yourself. I don't care. I want that. In training camp. Training camp is less than two weeks away, which is oh, that's a nice crazy to say. And uh, and I just don't want it to be 95 and humid as we're standing on the sidelines for training camp. Exercise number one, Chad Graff, of Purple Daily today is this. And I will allow you to start. 
The Viking storylines, so it's two weeks from yesterday, correct? The training camp convenes Yes, in, in that's just rookies okay. and some quarterbacks and All select right. players coming off injuries. The full group will be, say, two weeks and two days. But All yes, right. Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman, the rookies, some players will have pads on and be on a football field less than two weeks from today. So give me, starting at five and going to one, give me your five curiosities when it comes to Viking storylines with two very important things that you can't give me. I don't want to hear about Cousins, because we all know, and we've talked about Cousins a ton, and offensive line, because we've (laughs) talked about that. If if two things have been beaten to death since the Vikings did not make the playoffs and lost to the Bears, it's the quarterback and offensive line. So starting at five, give me the five storylines or curiosities that you have about this team as training camp gets set to start. Number five, I'll give you Irv Smith Jr., the tight end that the Vikings drafted, potentially, it seems, as the heir apparent to Kyle Rudolph. This is a 20-year-old kid who played very little college football, albeit from a powerhouse program at Alabama, but a player who has a lot of potential, a player who was drafted as a bit of a project, but also a player, I think, who is probably going to stumble a little bit early on. He's got going to have a lot on his plate that he did not have at Alabama. Alabama is a great school to draft from. We all know that. But the kid is still 20 years old, and I think that's a big reason why they ended up re-signing Kyle Rudolph. But I, I'm fascinated to see how quickly Irv Smith Jr. picks up all of this uh, and, and what he can do in his rookie season. What's your guess there? I don't think that it is going to go as well as a lot of people do. I think that he's going to struggle a bit, definitely as a blocker. Uh, I think that he'll make some pretty impressive catches in training camp that has everybody (laughs) tweeting and super excited. And all of a sudden people are going to be drafting him as their sleeper in fantasy. And I think that will blow up in their face a little bit because I just don't know how this 20-year-old who was a little bit inconsistent in college is going to suddenly be super consistent in the NFL. That brings me back to one one of my favorite Zolgad Scoggin Star Tribune stories on the Vikings beat years ago. Was it, uh, who was the guy they drafted? I think it was in the second round, a cornerback. It might have been their first pick of that draft. Was it Chris Cook? The kid, the cornerback that got in trouble and and had problems and uh, never developed into a thing, Chad Graff. I want to say Don Mankato one day. I'm not kidding you. He had three picks. And so we called the sports desk and said, <laughs> we got to write this. This is a big story. People care about this. This is a huge story. To your point exactly, because you thought, okay, you yes. know, the, the light bulb has gone on. And, and obviously, the more you see training camp practices, the, the less that you're likely to react like this. But, you know, hey, it's a it big happens. deal. That, that Smith be... just had a huge day. The Athletic is going to get <laughs> 800 words on it. And the next thing you know, Irv Smith's struggling. That should be an entire segment. Is like people that you were so impressed by, by one or two or maybe even a week of training camp practices, <laughs> make a and then right we're now. so wrong. of like, like Mr. Mankato's that, you voted for that either never turned out or that you thought at some point, this is a Mr. Mankato guy, and then it just completely fell apart. I feel like the list has to be guys that you expected a lot from. Sure. So like top draft picks or top guys who I mean, came in. The obvious one that sticks out of the last two years is Laquan Treadwell, who everybody has been impressed by at some point in time over the last three years. Yep. He has done something in training camp, drew rave reviews from his quarterback or his coordinators or, or whomever, and you thought, Wow, maybe this Laquan Treadwell guy has it. And then you think to, to yourself, I have to relay this to my readers right. to tell yes. them the I excitement them know. on this football field. I'm a football mind watching these football players. These football fans need to know that Laquan Treadwell is going to break out this season. Three names okay. from from the Mankato days. Troy Williamson. 
Oh, good who had one. some great practices. Yeah, and I also recall there was the training camp. I think it was his second one. his second year where he came in and and he came off the practice field and started talking about how he had been to the Nike Vision Clinic <laughs> and how this was a life changer. <laughs> now I want to go back and read whatever lead you wrote to this story. You can after Google it and find Nike it. Vision camp. I think it was Seifert who wrote it because <laughs> because our plan was to write something entirely different and Troy like just cut open a vein. Uh, Chris Cook was one, and then the third one because he had a great arm and in training camp practices against air, against, you know, seven on sevens look great. Tavares Jackson. Oh. I can't tell you early on the amount of times we were fooled by Tavares because when Tavares had the conditions right for him in practice, obviously conditions are, are ripe to be very successful, and that arm played. Yeah. The problem was he'd get on the field in a game and he and th- that arm would throw the ball to opposing players. <laughs> I would love to go see the headlines that accompanied these stories that you wrote the on Williamson these players. The Williamson one, we went back to that well more than once. <laughs> and I'm now I'm I am not too proud to admit I'm embarrassed by it. Well, we've done that with Treadwell. Even in the last three years, I'm not immune to it. I don't think either newspaper's immune to it. Every writer who's been there, there's been some moment over the last three years that Laquan Treadwell has done something that made you think Boy, this this guy might be putting it all together. Do you think, too, off that point, do you think in all the different sports that you've covered through the years that football players are the most apt when when their season is starting to try and come clean about how great things are going to be, about how they're never going to get in trouble again? I don't. I don't seem to think that baseball and hockey players and basketball Definitely players not baseball. change. Like, football players change on a dime. First day of training camp, yep. oh, Chad Graff, yeah, you know, it's going to be great. I'm sorry I've I haven't grinded. treated you well uh-huh. in the past, but now, and you get to November, <laughs> and the guy's right back to being who he was the previous year. I think that's true By of football. By far more okay. than any of the other sports. Definitely baseball doesn't have it. Hockey doesn't have it because hockey players are too afraid to say anything about themselves. It's always about the team, and, you know, if if I'm a hockey player who's trying to make the second line or even just trying to make the team. There's no way I'm about to go talk about all the work that I put in this offseason. Right. I don't know much about basketball. I kind of feel like basketball is just one of those things where you know who has it pretty easy. Right. Yeah, I don't think guys change as much. But football, uh, there are you could go up to any number of players who would tell you how amazing their offseason was and how everything has come together, and I've never felt better. I'm stronger. I'm faster. I'm a changed man. And... I've been in the NFL another year. I know more than these rookies. These rookies don't know anything. I've been on a practice squad. I studied playbooks. I know defenses now. Watch out. I'm in for a big year. And then you leave that interview like, man, I got some great stuff. He really opened up to me. My my interview skills must be really good because this guy <laughs> cracked open a vein. That's a great point. And now, now I'm going to go write this story. You're right. I got You know who I got that from really, really bad one, one time? And, of course, I bought it completely. Cornerback Cedric Griffin, who I believe had gotten or he had gotten in trouble the previous year. And he wasn't at this point. He's not a bad player, but it was one of those. You know what? I've changed. The light has gone (laughs) off. I am a different man. And I swear to you, Chad Graff, by I'm not joking, October or November, he was back to being the exact same guy, which didn't make him a terrible player. He wasn't a great player. But, yeah, I just I can't think of and I think you're right. I don't think there's another sport where you get the the immediate early training camp transformation story. And it's interesting to football because Treadwell would give it to you again. Yes. Oh, yeah. But you're guarded against it so much now. You won't allow yourself to get roped in. It's more of a you now than him. I guarantee you, if you go up to Laquan first couple days of camp and like, I'd really like to, you know, this is a fresh start. (laughs) I 
Guarantee you, you'd get that story. Uh, there's no doubt. And the only problem with this is that I have not learned my lesson nearly enough. So I'll go do the same, whether it's to Irv Smith or to, you know, the guard that they drafted in the fourth round who had a big pancake in practice the other day. And go do a big glowing story about, you know, the starting position is up for grabs for them. And uh, and I'll probably do it the season after and I won't learn my lesson and uh, and we'll do it all over again. It takes a long time. It takes a long time. Okay, number four on your list. Number four. This one is boring, but the third wide receiver competition is one that I'm fascinated by, partly because I think that there are some players like Chad Beebe who could really be impactful and interesting. But the other part of this that I wonder how much the Vikings have thought about, this could blow up in their face. This is a league where you need three wide receivers. The three main guys that they have fighting for this job, Brandon Zilstra, Chad Beebe, Jordan Taylor, all three guys who have had injury issues in the past, Jordan Taylor to the point where he missed all of last season, Chad Beebe finally gets activated to the roster and then has injury issues after having injury issues in college, um, and Brandon Zilstra was hampered a little bit toward the end. If any one of them don't step up the way that the Vikings think or suffers injuries that are common on the football field, this could be a situation where Suddenly, Laquan Treadwell is back to being the third wide receiver. It's going to be fascinating on a number of fronts, but mainly, I think, because this has the potential to blow up and suddenly they have nobody at the third wide receiver spot. If Irv Smith does not fail, if Irv Smith, let's say he's really good from day one, that masks this issue, right? Yes, I definitely. So, like, if it goes Kyle, Irv, right. um, Diggs, Thielen. And I think that was part of why they drafted him. Is this a guy they can put in the backfield, they can use in a lot of different ways. Heck, they could line him up in the slot. And if he is close to ready to play in the NFL, that mitigates a lot of the issues that they have at that wide receiver spot. All right, let's do this. Let's take a break and then get to Chad Graff's three Viking storylines that he's looking forward to his training camp approaches that do not include the quarterback or offensive line. We will do that next. Purple Daily is the show on the all-new Score North. is running out to bid on the 2019 SV's auction. It's ESPN's biggest and best auction ever, packed full of more than 80 exclusive one-of-a-kind sports, travel, and celebrity experiences. Visit ebay.com slash ESPN to bid. Proceeds benefit the V Foundation for Cancer Research. Thank you, sir. It is uh, Purple Daily. Matthew Collar out today. Back tomorrow, Judd Zolgad and Chad Graff of The Athletic with you on uh, Score North. Of course, Score North on 1500. And you can download that Score North mobile app, Apple, Android, all those good places. What we are doing now, Chad Graff, and you're at, uh, I believe, through two and with three left to go. The storylines that we are most looking forward to in a couple weeks is Vikings training camp uh, opens in Egan. That do not include a man named Kirk Cousins, because we have, uh, thankfully, we all know that that storyline is going to be there from day one through the end of the season, and the offensive line because that's been discussed a lot. So, uh, give me your your five and four again, and then get to three as we continue this. So, five on what I'm most looking forward to seeing from Vikings training camp is Irv Smith Jr. and the progress that he does or does not make uh, as a player who I think could make a big difference for the Vikings. Number four, the third wide receiver battle, which kind of ties into whether Irv Smith Jr. is able to take steps or not, and whether anybody is able to emerge as uh, a good target for Kirk Cousins there. Number three on what I'm most looking forward to, and this circles back a little bit to what we talked about before about writing the same stories over and over in training camp. I feel like this one has been beaten to death, and yet 
receives new life this year thanks to a new contract. Anthony Barr's progress as a pass rusher. I've got that at number three as well. <laughs> Same exact thing. I, I don't know why this... I do know why. this. He, he's been billed as this prolific pass rusher. He's got the build. He's got the prototype. He's got it all. Yep. He's got the tools. He worked with the defensive line last year in training camp, which... You know, was the thing that revitalized this whole storyline a year ago. And now the offseason comes and the New York Jets say, Yes, you are the pass rusher that we are missing. We will pay you the moon. Come be our pass rusher. He initially says, Yes, of course, then says no, then comes back to the Vikings. You have to think with the money that he said no to with the Jets and took a pay cut to remain in Minnesota. Yep. He had to have had a conversation with Mike Zimmer, something along the lines of, hey, are you actually going to let me go after the quarterback? Can I be this pass rusher that everybody says I can be? You, Mike Zimmer, mythical defensive coach who can make everybody a great defensive player, let me get some sacks under my... I don't think he's ever had more than four sacks in a season for a guy who was billed as, as this great pass rusher. So my question to you off of that point then is... What, if anything, does he need to do that's different to justify the the fact that he was brought back? And I know he took a favorable contract, but he still, him coming back did not allow them to clear cap room that I think that for a long time they assumed that they would. Yes, right. So, Chad, what does he, if anything, and the answer might be nothing, in your mind, what does he need to do to justify his return? I mean, I think it just comes down to the pass rushing. I think that he needs to get six, seven sacks this season. But if they don't do that... Like, that's not totally up to him. Right. And then if that doesn't happen, I, I, I mean, he's a good outside linebacker who does a lot of good things well. The only thing that he's supposed to do outstanding is get to the quarterback. And if that doesn't happen, then you almost have to wonder, like, why are you are you only spending all of this money because this was Mike Zimmer's first draft pick and he's in love with the guy and talks ad nauseum about how much he loves him? Is that the real reason he's back and not because of how good of a pass rusher he can be? How much do you think that Mike looks at, at what Anthony Barr brings to that defense and in his mind says they don't get it? You know, Chad Graff, right. Matthew Collar, the fan base. How much do you think he sees... Uh, an inherent advantage to having him and just thinks that we don't understand what what that that is and we talk about sacks you know which you you can see on paper but do you think that in Mike's mind he just thinks the way that I've used Barr is absolutely correct he does a good job there and I don't need more for sure yeah I, that's absolutely what it so, is cuz my my point is I don't know if this is going to change I think it should too I'm with what you're saying but I also think he internalizes and says they don't they don't see the beauty i see and i think that he often actually does think in june and july you know Anthony Barr has been great. I really like what he's done, but I am going to get him to rush the passer more this season. I am going to get him to do more things, just like he says he is going to get Xavier Rhodes back to his 2017 form when he was the best cornerback in the NFL. I do think that he does think that, and then once the games start and once the films, you know, once he's in there breaking down films, like, well, I can have Anthony Barr do this, and he does all of these other things that these people don't realize. He's almost like the Miko Koivu of the Vikings, where coaches will tell you. (laughs) I'm going to get below the table right now. Keep going. I can't take this. On and on, as Judd literally is under the table. Are we going to name him Captain soon and never take it away because, (laughs) oh, nobody cares about that? He does all of these things that you people without the hockey background that I, Mike Zimmer, or I, Mike Yo, or I, whomever, have, 
you don't understand everything that he does just because it doesn't show up in goals on on the ice rink or in sacks on the football field. That's a great comparison. <laughs> Number two on your list. Please avoid the Number wild. Number two. Please and avoid the wild <laughs> comparisons until they again have an analytics department. This will not. And bring I'm not up talking about the Vikings. Nico Koivu. Number two on my list is Gary Kubiak's influence. I think that there's a chance that Gary Kubiak is the biggest offseason addition for the Vikings, in part because they, frankly, did not have very many additions. Their biggest addition was a rookie center. Uh, so Gary Kubiak's influence, I think, goes a long way in determining how Kirk Cousins does, and we're leaving him off the table, of course, for this discussion, Sure, but how the offense actually progresses. Kevin Stavansky is widely viewed as a very good offensive coordinator, a head coach in waiting, which I know is probably a term that scares a lot of people because the last offensive coordinator was supposedly both of those things, and that blew up in in horrible fashion. Uh, but I think that Gary Kubiak bringing two tight end sets, now having David Morgan, Irv Smith Jr., Kyle Rudolph, I think that goes a long way. I think that what his running games have done in the past in Denver – and what that could potentially mean for Dalvin Cook and this running game, uh, how he could sort of alleviate what is a poor-to-average offensive line. Um, I think all of that is fascinating. I think just listening to him discuss how he interacts and talks to Mike Zimmer, how much influence he actually has for now and for OTAs and in minicamp, he was very hands-off. He stood 40 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Almost never said anything. Players would even say, you know, I don't even know if I've heard his voice. When he does say something, obviously ears will perk up. But as training camp progresses and as the season progresses, if they're not having the success that they think they're going to have and envision themselves having, does his influence grow a little bit? He's not the offensive coordinator. He's an associate head coach or whatever title they've given him. Yes. Does that influence grow as the season goes on if the Vikings do not have the success that they envision themselves having. And the answer has to be absolutely, right? Sure. He's a Super Bowl winning coach. Uh, how he, could you he not? He's the coach, he's the head coach of the offense. Yes. And this is his baby. Like Stefanski's executing it. Yep. But they didn't bring him in not to Now he might not bellow and yell and heck for for all I know, all I know that might have never been his style in in Denver or various other stops. But this is going to be his blueprint. So I think the answer to your question is yes. And I think it's probably smart just to hang back. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to take some time here. The thing that the thing that I didn't realize until I went to the minicamp practices, I think I got to two of the three, though, and Cousins admitted this at one point, was I didn't realize that he really didn't know this offense nearly as well as we thought he did, which is going to be very interesting. (laughs) I really thought that this was an extension of the Shanahan family offense and that, and I think in some ways that's probably true. But when Kirk basically came out and said, oh, no, there's a lot I don't know about this. Terminology is Terminology, that was really, that was insightful. Mm -hmm. And that was, so, so I would not be surprised if the answer to your question down the road gets to be that Kubiak definitely has to get more hands-on than he would probably prefer but if the choice is you win football games because of it or you don't, it's a pretty simple choice. All right, you're number one. My number one thing that I am looking forward to as training camp gets going in less than two weeks is to see how Mike Zimmer grows. This is a head coach who I think is just a fascinating personality, a fascinating character to follow. He's 63 years old. The Vikings missed the playoffs a year ago, and it seemed fair to wonder 
whether this guy at 63 would even want to continue coaching. Now, I know there's a lot of people who have said he's a football lifer. He He's not going anywhere, but he's also followed Bill Parcells. He he's still remains very close to Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells is now raising horses and, and betting on horses and playing golf. I mean, that's got to sound pretty appetizing. Uh, this is also a head coach who a year ago openly said that he went to some of the leaders on the team and said, are people tuning out my message? Did people stop listening to me? What is going on? Which is an awfully revealing thing. I'm still shocked months, almost a year later that he even admitted that he did that. Um, and a coach who has had to change his defense and, you know, changed it after the first four games a year ago and said again this offseason that he wants to make some changes. He again is returning 10 of 11 defensive starters. He has the liberty to make changes. He, you mentioned now having sort of Gary Kubiak as a head coach of the offense. Yes. This is probably his dream where he can. You know, not that he hasn't focused most of his attention on the defense before because he has, but now. This is solely his responsibility to the defense. He can put all of his energy there. And if the Vikings still don't succeed this season, I think that's a fascinating decision to follow, both whether he continues to want to be a head coach in the NFL and whether Vikings ownership, if the Vikings don't make the playoffs, is okay bringing him back. I think that he's a good coach. We'll talk more about him and other NFL coaches and where Mike Zimmer probably falls on that list of NFL coaches, probably an hour or two. But... I think the way that he grows or does not grow is going to be incredibly interesting to watch this upcoming season. He's even got the kicker off his plate. <laughs> no, seriously, he's taken he's taken every every aspect of things that you know drive him crazy. And and credit to him in some ways, not completely because you, you can't completely do this, but in some ways, disassociated himself with them. The quarterback and offense not really his problem. The kicker who you know drives him nuts. You know all kickers drive him crazy. Yes, He's an old-school football guy. You name me one old-school head football coach that likes kickers. Crickets. I got nothing. And Tice couldn't stand him. I think everyone saw them as as necessary evils who they didn't want to deal with. (laughs) They're they're basically, to me, the exact equivalent of hockey goalies. Because coaches don't like them because they don't get them. Yep. Like, they don't understand what's going on up in, in that head. And this is why I'm surprised that more teams have not done what the Vikings have done, which is beyond the special teams coach slash coordinator, go just get a kicking guy. Yes. You don't even have to talk to your kicker at that point. You talk to the kicking yes. coach, just like head coaches in the NHL don't talk to the goalies. They just talk to the goalie coach. You just go to the kicking coach and say, hey, you, you know, it's fourth and three from the 35. Be honest with me. Is this guy going to make it? And, uh, and you can make your decisions that way. You don't ever have to talk to the kicker when the, your kicker misses. You don't even have to look at him, although I still have a hard time envisioning that Mike Zimmer won't be scowling and, and glaring over from his sunglasses as the kicker walks off after missing one. But it's all set up now for Mike Zimmer exactly as he wants. Yes. Everything has gone according to plan. He kept his outside linebacker, his first draft pick that he loves so much. If this isn't the season to put it all together... I think that there has to be questions about, you know, if it's going to happen. Which dovetails perfectly into my number five on my list. And that is this. How does Mike handle the pressure? Because now, now, and I wrote this for uh, scorenorth.com a couple weeks back, and I firmly believe it. Mike Zimmer loves this because the night before training camp starts, he can get up there and say, gentlemen, oh, <laughs> nobody believes in you. And yep. guess what? Guess what? Everyone in this room. It's us against everybody else. Media, expectations, 
Heck, some of your own fans don't mm-hmm. don't believe. And Mike did this the night before they went to the playoffs and lost. It was it 2016? 15. 15. The Seahawks. Okay, so it, it was 16. I believe he got to Mankato, had just signed the contract extension, and got up the night before training camp started after that game <laughs> and said, nobody believes a lot of people don't expect you to be good. And everyone said, Mike, what are you talking about? Like, your team's picked to win the division again, Mike. Mike, you're not making sense here. Like, you can't you can't sell this and then expect us to believe it when it's absolutely not true. Well, now it's true. Right. Now it's true. It works perfect. But, but everything about this, to me, sets up perfectly in Mike's world for how Mike likes things. But there's still pressure here. The oh, Cousins yeah. factor... The bar coming back, your defense was brought back factor. Heck, kicking coach, Kubiak factor. You have everything now the way that you wanted it. So I'm very curious to see if he takes this and completely thrives or takes it and yeah, bristles. I don't know yet. My sense is that he's my sense is he's going to love it. That he's going to be like at a country club as far as he's concerned about the the way that things are set up. But that's my question. Well, I, it's fascinating because I think he openly wondered aloud after the season going all the way really to the scouting combine about why the Vikings have a good season and then follow with a dud and then have a good season 2015 11 wins should win a playoff game obviously they don't uh, and then they follow it up by going eight and eight and missing the playoffs and they follow that up with 13 wins going to the NFC title expectations are raised everything's going to be great and then they fall flat again it's been up and down throughout his tenure basically every other season this is, if that trend continues, an up season when he can actually sell everything that you just mentioned. Yes. And yet there are also wrinkles, though. Like this is year two of Kirk Cousins' contract. There are questions, like we talked about with Anthony Barr, where if it doesn't happen now, then what? So it, it will be interesting to see. And that's on him, then. Oh, yeah. Bar's on him. I, I think his, and this might be incorrect, I think his perception probably in life is that Cousins is not on him. But then, but then the question that becomes very important that we don't know yet is this: Do the Wilfs consider Rick and Mike to be married at joined at the hip? I would like guess if, yes. But. I would too. But if but if they decide if Cousins fails here and that we all decide or they they decide that hey this is on Rick it's Rick's guy and by the way going back a long ways now Rick and some of this is just bad luck too but Rick has never found the quarterback right. If Rick takes the fall here, does Mike go with him? My sense is yes, because I, I would I not would want a new so. GM and force a coach on him, but I don't know that answer for sure yet. Yeah, that's fair. I would think that would be the case, that if one was gone, they were both gone, um, just because you also want to avoid the disaster. You mentioned where the GM comes into a new coach or to the, the existing coach, um, but but I don't know. Number four on, on my list is not so much asking a lot of this player, but it's about the decision that I don't understand why he was brought back. And if he doesn't if he doesn't return to pre-2018 form, I think it's a problem because it was a bad misjudgment. Everson Griffin. Mm-hmm. If Everson Griffin goes back to being, and I know he took a pay cut, but if he goes back to being the player that he previously was, he's probably only here for one more year, but Chad Graff, it proves to be a great deal. But if he doesn't, Again, that's a place where room could have been created, and you didn't do it. You didn't do it. And I don't know why you didn't. Like, I get that Griffin was really good at one point. But if you if you were looking at areas to say, let's just clear the space, allowing him to walk was as simple as it could possibly get. 
So my curiosity and my second question is, does he go back to being the Pro Bowl outstanding player that he was? Or does he sort of stay as the 2018, and and I'm not implying personal problems again, but just an okay player, in which case the investment was a dumb one because he can be replaced by people. And now you stopped yourself from clearing up cap space that, especially after Barr came back, you could have used. Where they didn't clear cap space are going to be fascinating things to follow, including cornerback and whether Xavier Rhodes struggles this season or Trey Wayne struggles this season, those were two places that the Vikings could have and did have trade offers coming into them to clear that cap space either for picks or for young offensive linemen and chose not to do it in part because Mike Zimmer loves his cornerbacks and wanted to return them. And if they struggle, that is also on Mike Zimmer, I think. My top three Viking storylines that I'm looking forward to as a training camp approaches in a couple weeks. Those will be next. The show is Purple Daily. It's Zolgad, Chad Graff, Jonathan Harrison producing on Score North on 1500. 247 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. I'm Jonathan here with this download for this hour. Pro Football Focus recently ranked all 32 offensive lines and not surprisingly... The Vikings offensive line was near the bottom. It came in at 25 or 25th with Pro Football Focus saying taking Bradbury in the first round of the 2019 draft opened a lot of doors for the Vikings, including pushing Pat Elfline out to guard, where he earned his highest season grade at Ohio State returning tackles. Riley Reef and Brian O'Neill will need to step up, though, with the NFC North Edge Defender Group getting even stronger this offseason. Below the Vikings were the Raiders, Bengals, Jets, Chargers, Cardinals, Texans, and Dolphins with the worst offensive line in the league, according to Pro Football Focus. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the boys on Purple Daily. And the boys today with Matthew Collarout are Zolgate and Chad Graff. And Chad Graff, I thought 25 was actually very, very fair. What I thought a, it might be lower. What a brutal list of teams to be joined by. When, Jonathan, when you just read those teams that were below them, the Dolphins, the Cardinals, the Raiders, like... It's not a good list. It is not. That's not great company. The one that surprised me a little bit with how well they play is the Texans. I mean, they're they're contending for their own division, and they have the second-to-worst offensive line in the league. They're they're a team that has been good despite having horrible offensive lines. Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) It was amazing. And they they were a Kubiak team at one point. Mm -hmm. A little zone blocking. All right, so let's get back to the Viking storylines that we're going through, uh, Chad Graff. We've... We each are running through, and you have gone through your five, and I am uh, up to number three. Viking storylines as training camp begins that do not involve Kirk Cousins or the offensive line. My five was, how does Mike Zimmer handle the pressure? My four was, does Everson Griffin rebound to his pre-2018 form based on the fact that you brought him back? And I know it was for cheaper, but it was still salary cap room that you could have cleared up. And if he doesn't rebound to that form, it was a mistake to bring him back. My number three was the same as yours. <laughs> what is Anthony Barr's role now that he was brought back and didn't sign with the Jets? And yes, he signed a favorable uh, contract to the Vikings, but still, it's a lot of salary cap space wiped out. And does Barr returning now mean that his role increases to where he's going to get a substantial amount of sacks for a linebacker in a 4-3 defense? So I'm with you. And if he doesn't, I'm curious what the feeling will be internally. You know, because Mike can say right. all he wants. I love this guy. He's my guy. You don't get it. But if you're the Wills or if you're Rick Spielman, you got to be saying, Mike, we brought him back for you. Like, we need mm-hmm. as much as possible. And splash plays and sacks are are going to allow people to be like, that was a good move. 
But if Mike's just got these nuanced little things that Anthony Barr does so well and that he's going to continue to do all those little things, a lot of people who are probably fairly important are going to be like, well, then why didn't we just allow him to go to the Jets and, and try and replace him? Because I think somewhat fairly, somewhat unfairly, there is a perception that the one thing Mike can do is mold defensive players, right? Yep. So you can go out there and find a cornerback and mold him. And that might that might be a little bit too much of an assumption, but I think when you're talking about ownership and people like that, they say stuff like, Mike, we you're good at defense. We got you Kubiak, who I'm sure they're paying a ton to. Mm-hmm. We got you a kicking coach so that you could mold <laughs> defensive players. So if you're bringing Barr back here and nothing's changing, the question becomes why. And I think the other thing with Anthony Barr is that him having a good season and becoming the pass rusher that people have always thought he could be would also alleviate the thought exercises um, and issues that would come if other areas struggle, like, say, either the offensive line or even the three-technique spot on the defensive line. Those are spots where money could have been spent. The money that was spent on Anthony Barr could have been spent on those other spots. An interesting, you know, just thought would be if the Vikings did not bring back Anthony Barr, do they then bring back Sheldon Richardson? Sheldon Richardson did a lot of good things for the Vikings, was able to rush the passer a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now the Vikings are replacing him with Shamar Stefan, who, fine, average, yeah, he's okay. They're familiar I guess. with him, yeah. So if they struggle from that spot, if Shamar Stefan doesn't, you know, stop the run the way that they think that he will, or if he gets hurt, or if he's just not that good, then I think you would also wonder, well, why are we giving all of this money to Anthony Barr when we could have given it to Sheldon Richardson? Or if Sheldon Richardson, or if uh, Anthony Barr does not make those big plays that you talked about and the offensive line struggles once again, ranked 25th by PFF, thank you, Jonathan, then could you have spent that money on a free agent? Could you have used it elsewhere? That's the question that the non-football people internally will ask. Yeah, and, and I think they Mark, should. That's what they would say. I think that's Why a fair question to ask. Why didn't get more help? I think that's absolutely a fair question to ask. Number two on my list, was it hubris? Was it real? And is it even a possibility? Can you get Xavier Rhodes, a very nice player, but he's an aging player, and make no mistake, at his age, he's aging in the National Football League, to bounce back? I, I know at uh, the owners' meetings in March, Zimmer talked about that, expressed disappointment in Rhodes. It sounds like Rhodes bristled a little bit about that. But there's a big difference between developing a player and turning him into a Pro Bowl player and then having him sort of start to go off the cliff and saying, oh, I'll get him back, which is what Mike implied he can do or said flat out he plans on doing. I'm very curious on that one. That's a a potential long shot, not to say that Rhodes is going to be awful, but to say that once you start to decline at that position, it's hard to come back. It is July 10th. And I think that just about every topic regarding the Vikings has been talked about ad nauseum or written about ad nauseum. This is one I think, though, that probably has not. It is an amazing situation where the Vikings are in where they chose not to trade Xavier Rhodes and get salary cap relief or get more draft picks that they could have used for offensive line. And then as that progresses, Mike Zimmer then says, well, we didn't do it because I'm going to get him back to the ability that he was at before, has made remarks about him not being able to stay on the field all the time, which is, and true. Constant, which is very true. Uh, but I think that when the head coach says that, I think the players bristle a little bit. Xavier Rhodes then went and liked a bunch of tweets from random fans with like four followers saying, you know, ah, Mike Zimmer, how could you dare say that about Xavier Rhodes? He's the best. Xavier Rhodes logs on Twitter, searches his name, clicks likes there that is a such 
a fascinating situation to see. Now, of course, you know, it's July and they say that they have solved everything and they're back on the same page and there was never any doubt that they would get on the same page. But Xavier Rhodes had better than become the player that Mike Zimmer thinks he's going to become. Otherwise, this could really boil over. And of course, what they said is BS. Sure. You know, that's complete BS. We're on the same page. I know I like tweets calling him a moron. Don't forget, and I know you Zimmer also said me. in Green Bay, when Rhodes told the truth about what they did, he gets <laughs> nervous sometimes when asked to talk. Okay, that is two on my list. Number one to me, offensively, is an absolute key to this entire season, and it's not Cousins, and it's not Kubiak, and it's not the offensive line. It's a very simple question, and if the answer is no, you're in a lot of trouble. Can Dalvin Cook stay healthy for an entire season? Yep. If Dalvin Cook, he is the is the right right word here, linchpin. He is the absolute key because look at what's behind him now. Look at what his role should be. And if you can't keep him on the field, I don't see a replacement here. And your quarterback's not good enough to overcome that loss. So the amount that Dalvin Cook will give you, which I think in week one will be incredible. But the one thing he can't do so far is he hasn't shown ability to stay healthy. If he can't stay on the field, I think that's the beginning of the undoing for your offense. Conversely, if he can, I think you might be in fine shape. Two things can be true. One, running backs are often overvalued in the NFL and easier to replace than people think. Two, though, I think also true, the Vikings are one of the exceptions to to that rule. They do not have somebody who can step in and replace Dalvin Cook. That's the issue now. Even after they wasted a third-round pick on a running back, which still is baffling to me, they don't have a replacement for him, and they're in an offense that has been stressed over and over again by the head coach. They want to be balanced. They want to be running the football. You mentioned that Kirk Cousins, for everything that he is, which you know we have talked about a lot, he is not somebody who is going to throw 45 passes and carry you to a win with 500 passing yards. Uh, he needs pieces around him. Dalvin Cook is one of those pieces. If Dalvin Cook is healthy, I think he can have a monster season behind Gary Kubiak, Kevin Stefanski's offense. I think he can have a very, very big year, but it's hard to overstate his importance to the Vikings. Uh, running backs are very disposable in my world. One, if you replace them with the correct player, but two is the more that they do, the less replaceable that they become, and Dalvin Cook right. can do a lot. And so I guess my question is, if he goes out, who's the guy behind him that steps in <laughs> and says, oh, I can pick up and pass protection. I can catch the football. I can run. They can all run. I get that. But you're talking about a player in Kubiak's um, offense as a chip who's going to be an incredibly important chip. And if that's taken out now, you didn't really get a, so I don't think you got a suitable backup to replace him. And it's amazing too, with the way that everything was handled last year, he has the ACL injury. The Vikings keep him here in Minnesota after his rookie year to rehab here. They didn't send him back to Florida. They said, we want an eye on you. Smart we want to be seeing what you're doing every time. Then they held him back in training camp. He was out on the field, I think, for three preseason snaps all of last season. Yep. Let's make sure we keep this guy healthy. I don't even think they gave him a handoff. They may have, It was only three snaps. I don't think they gave him a handoff. First action in week one, everything seems to go well. Week two happens, and it's in that game uh, against Green Bay, that wild game at Lambeau Field, where Dalvin Cook actually sets up what should have been the game-winning field goal uh, but suffers the hamstring injury there that ends up nagging him and staying with him through the throughout all of last season, basically. It's my favorite part 
Chad Graff, of this two-hour show next. Do you know what that part is? I do. It's my favorite part as well. It's time for some hot routes. I love it. That's next on Score North on 1500.